1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's read the entire chapter. And when I come to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful tonight for this precious gift that you have given to us, those of us who are born again, that you have given us the mind of Christ, that we have the wisdom of God, that we don't have to settle for the wisdom of the world. And Lord, we pray tonight as we unpack this rich passage of Scripture, that we would, we would understand it, that we would know uh, what you have for us. And this uh, special um, this special uh, provision that you have given to us in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that you would uh, be with us as we worship. Lord, that our singing, our praise, our, our uh, worship would be uh, pleasing to you. And, Lord, we pray that as we um, worship and as we fellowship with one another, that everything that's said and done in this place would be uh, good and honorable in your sight. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Off the coast of South China, on a high hill overlooking the harbor of Macau, is a huge wall. 
This wall is the only thing that remains from a massive cathedral that Portuguese settlers built on that hill hundreds of years ago. The typhoon hit that cathedral, literally reducing it to ruins. And everything except this front wall was totally leveled. But high on top of that wall stands a large bronze cross. In 1825, Sir John Bowring was sailing a ship off that same coast when a terrible storm arose, breaking his ship apart and throwing him into the sea. He was desperately clinging to a piece of driftwood, believing that all was lost, including his own life, when he suddenly caught sight of this bronze cross on top of the cathedral wall. And as he saw the cross, he was filled with new hope. And shortly after that, he was rescued. John Bowring was so moved by that experience that he wrote a poem that was later put to music and was sung by God's people as a hymn for over 150 years. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the sun of bliss is beaming, light and love upon my way, from the cross the radiant streaming adds more luster to the day. That song could have been Paul's theme song. Paul had much that he could have boasted about. In his day, he was the church's church's greatest preacher, greatest missionary, greatest apologist, greatest theologian. He was a prolific author who wrote more books than anyone else in the New Testament, more than half of the New Testament. He was a religious thoroughbred, a full-blooded, circumcised Jew. His pedigree was envied by all. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. To put it bluntly, he was a big cog in the synagogue. And yet, Paul said, I glory, I boast in only one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's pride was limited to the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, it was not the cross itself that Paul was so enamored with. It was not the blood-soaked beams of wood which stood on a hill called Calvary that so gripped the heart of Paul. It was not just any cross. It was the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the cross was nothing to glory of 2,000 years ago. Today, we have turned the cross into a kinder, gentler ornament a piece of jewelry that we wear around our necks to enhance our appearance. If you mention the cross today, people think of a jeweler. If you mention the cross in Paul's day, they thought of a jailer 
and ultimately an executioner. In that day, the cross was a cruel instrument of death. Crucifixion on a cross is one of the cruelest forms of execution ever devised by men. Let me share with you something that I am greatly concerned about. I am afraid that the church in our day and time is suffering under the curse of a crossless Christianity. In pulpits all over America today, people are being told that man's greatest problem is a lack of self-esteem. And what he really needs is he needs a good dose of positive thinking. He needs some, you know, positive words of encouragement. Or there are those who are saying that our problem is ignorance. And what we really need is we need a good education. Some say that our problem is prejudice, that that we need equal opportunity for all. We've got to defeat this this whole uh, problem of prejudice in our society. But my friend, the Bible is very clear. Our problem is sin. And what we need is the cross of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus died on the cross, the cross was a symbol of shame, weakness, and defeat. But ever since that day, it has become a great symbol of glory, power, and victory for all those who are in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is dealing with the overall problem of division in the Corinthian church that has resulted from the Greeks' love for human philosophy. The Corinthian culture was full of philosophers and philosophies, and this love for human wisdom had infiltrated the church. And you know, human wisdom and simple faith have always been arch enemies. It seems that the smarter we think we are, the less we think we need God. And as a result, the modern church has seen a number of philosophical movements enter the church. Often we're just like the Corinthian church. We, uh, in our view of the universe, in our view of life and death, in our view of the meaning and purpose of life, in our lifestyles, and, and many other philosophical moorings are borrowed from our secular society more than they are from the Word of God. And in this passage of Scripture, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16 in particular. And Paul is saying here that man's wisdom is inadequate. It is partial. It is incomplete. And generally speaking, it does not work as far as the ultimate questions of life are concerned. We will never, with our own thought processes, discover true wisdom. True wisdom comes only as a revelation from God. Now, this passage of Scripture is one of the main reasons why there have been some who have accused Christianity of being an anti-intellectual faith. In fact, there are some, even within Christianity, that think that the more ignorant you are, the more spiritual you are, 
And what I would say is that there must be some really spiritual people out there, if that's the case. But folks, the fact is, it is not anti-intellectual to be a believer in Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It is not anti-intellectual to focus on the cross as the centerpiece of the Christian faith. It's just that those who know Christ now have become acquainted with a wisdom that is far superior to the wisdom of the world. In the Corinthian church, their love for human wisdom was keeping them from divine wisdom. And therefore, it was keeping them from spiritual maturity, growth, and unity. And what Paul shares with us in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16, is the joy of spiritual understanding. So that's going to be our theme tonight, the joy of spiritual understanding. And here we see the proclamation that God has mandated, the preparations that God has made, and the purpose God has manifested. So that's our outline this evening. And by the way, this outline also falls neatly into three important aspects of God's wisdom, revelation, inspiration, and illumination. And you really could outline it that way as well. But let's begin with the proclamation that God has mandated. Notice that Paul's emphasis here is on what the message is that is needed to be proclaimed. And if you go down this passage, beginning really back in chapter 1, verse 10, you see that Paul has been talking about what message he has come to the Corinthians with. I mean, just go back to chapter 1 a minute. Look at verses 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So he starts off and he says, I came to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Drop down to uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, Paul is saying, this is the message that I came to you with. He continued in verses 4 and 5, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Over and over, he's echoing the same idea. And then in verse 6, he says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. But what I want you to notice in all this is the focus on what the message is to be that is spoken. What is the message that we are to proclaim? The message is the wisdom of God. And we see three important aspects of this 
wisdom that God has mandated. First of all, it is exclusive. It is exclusive. Look with me at verse 6 again. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. The wisdom that Paul refers to is exclusive in its audience. It is only for the mature. And it is exclusive in its source. It is not the wisdom of this age or its rulers. Now, the word for mature in verse 6 is not talking about those who are spiritually mature. It is a reference to those who are saved. In other words, only true believers can understand God's wisdom. To the lost, it is foolishness. And notice that Paul says that the wisdom of this age is passing away along with its leaders. Folks, that is so true. That is so true. In every age, in every generation, there always seems to be some new cult, some new belief system, some new fad, some new approach to life that comes along and replaces the old one. And man's knowledge, as you know, is always constantly changing. And what we think is an established fact today may be quickly discarded tomorrow and replaced by something else. In some disciplines, it's difficult to keep a current textbook. But the kind of wisdom that Paul is talking about is a very exclusive wisdom. It is not the wisdom of the world that changes constantly. It is the permanent, eternal wisdom of God. It is wisdom from above, and it is only for those who know Jesus Christ. But there's also a second important aspect here, and that is it is evasive. It is evasive. Notice the first part of verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. The wisdom that Paul is talking about is a mystery wisdom. It is hidden wisdom. Now, the word mystery is a word that is used Here, in this case, it's used a number of places in different ways, but here it is used as a synonym of several other phrases that he has employed. Phrases such as the word of the cross, the wisdom of God, the testimony of God, and later on in this passage, the deep things of God and the mind of Christ. All of those are synonyms talking about this mystery wisdom. This word does not mean something that is clandestine. It has really nothing to do with finding clues to discover something. It is a word that means something that is clear to those who are initiated. In other words, it's a secret until you become a child of God. And then it's not difficult to understand any longer. Listen, do you know that the Bible says that God intentionally holds His truth back from those who are lost? I mean, Jesus 
prayer in Matthew 11:25, Jesus prayed, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and yet you have revealed them to little children. That's a way of saying they're hidden from the lost, but they're understood by the children of God. God's wisdom is exclusive. And it is evasive. Thirdly, it is elective. Elective. Notice the last part of verse 7. Which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The word predestined there means to predetermine beforehand from eternity past. So what this is saying is that God ordained, even before the world was ever framed, that His wisdom, His wise plan of salvation, would result in the glory of all who believe in Christ. Verse 8 goes on to say, "...the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is proof that the natural man misses the true wisdom of God. Jesus, and particularly the cross, was foolishness to them, and in their ignorance they put him to death. And if they had really known who he was, they never would have crucified him. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? He said, Father... Forgive them because why? They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when he got up to preach? He said to his audience, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers also did. God's Word says that they crucified Jesus in ignorance. Now, they were not, of course, ignorant of the fact that they were crucifying an innocent man. They knew that, but they were ignorant of who that innocent man was. They did not know it was the Lord of glory. They didn't understand. Why? Because their hearts were still unregenerate. And that is the very same reason why there are many today who might be brilliant scientists or doctors with PhDs who are smart in so many ways, yet they miss the significance of the cross by a million miles. But we've seen the proclamation that God has mandated. This is the message that we must proclaim. It is nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see the preparation that God has made. Look with me at verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this is one of the most misapplied verses in the entire Bible. How many times... Have you heard someone quote this verse in connection with what heaven is going to be like, right? That's the way it's used. That's not what this is saying. 
Of course, you and I really cannot comprehend the glories of heaven, but that's not what this verse is talking about. What Paul is really referring to here is the fact that there is a realm of knowledge that is beyond the ability of man to see, hear, or think. And that is what God has prepared for those who belong to Him. This knowledge has three primary characteristics. First of all, it is incomprehensible. There are some things that are beyond human observation. The human eye can see a lot of things. It can look into a telescope and observe the multitude of stars out in space. It can look into a microscope and observe the minute microscopic bacteria. And yet, man cannot see the spirit world that is beyond our sight. And he cannot see the creator of heaven and earth. Those are things that must be revealed to man if he is to know them. The human ear can hear a lot of things. It can hear beautiful music or spine-tingling speeches. But there is some information that is beyond the ears of man to understand and assimilate. Then he says that there are things that have never entered into the heart of any man. There are things that are beyond human contemplation. God's truth is not observable by the eye or the ear. No matter how many sophisticated instruments we may use, and we are just as helpless in trying to discover His truth subjectively through our minds, our hearts, Rationalism cannot reason out God's truth. Man's two greatest human resources, which are empiricism and rationalism, his observation and his reason are equally useless in discovering divine truth. Ultimately, they led men to crucify Christ. But God's truth, God's plan, God's wisdom is not hidden from His children. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. Well, not only is this prepared knowledge incomprehensible, but also it is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. Look with me at verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths, of God. Not only is it impossible to know God's truth on our own, it is also totally unnecessary. Why is that? Because God has chosen to reveal it to us. God wants us to know Him. His Spirit has invaded our ignorance with revelation. The word revealed there means unveiled. There are truths from God that are so deep, so immeasurable, that they can only be known by revelation and in no other way. A person may be absolutely brilliant in many other fields of study, and yet not even in kindergarten when it comes to spiritual things. Paul said that the Spirit 
searches all things, even the depths of God. The word for searches there is a very interesting word. It is the word that was used for a customs agent searching for stolen goods at the border. Have you ever gone through what they call the extensive search process at the airport? Anybody ever done that? If you have had to experience that, then you understand what this word is talking about. The Spirit of God does an extensive search of all the deep things of God. And these deep things are immeasurable in depth. The wisdom of God is incomprehensible. It is immeasurable. And thirdly, it is inaccessible. Inaccessible. Look at verse 11. We'll pick it up in verse 10 so we can get the flow. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. The only person who knows your every thought is you. Your wife may know you well. But she doesn't know every thought that runs through your mind. Your husband may uh, learn what you like, but he can never know everything there is to know about you. There is no one in the world that knows you as well as you know yourself. And there is no one on the face of the earth that knows God like the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, as a member of the Godhead, is uniquely qualified to reveal the wisdom of God to man. An angel can't do it. No human teacher can do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. And if you and I are ever going to learn the deep things of God, it will only be when the Holy Spirit of God chooses to reveal them to us. The truth of God is inaccessible any other way apart from the revelation of that truth of the Spirit of God. So how are we then ever to know the deep things of God? That brings us to our last point for this evening, which is the purpose God has manifested, verses 12 through 16. There are three primary necessary things for us to know about God's wisdom. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. God knows that there are things we cannot know unless He first reveals them to us. God's wisdom cannot be discovered by man. It can only be received. It can only be received if it is offered by God, and verse 12 tells us it is freely offered to us by God. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Underline those words, freely given. God has freely given these things to us. 
How is it freely given? It is given to us in His Word, of course. You see, the we's and us of verses 12 and 13 do not refer to Christians in general. At least, that is not the immediate context. But it instead applies to the apostles and the other writers of Scripture. These were the ones that were given these words of God that we now call the New Testament, the Scripture. And notice verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This is not only talking about revelation, it is also referring to inspiration. The Spirit of God as you know, came upon a young maiden named Mary, and the result was the perfect Son of God incarnate. In the same way, the Spirit of God came upon willing men, and as a result, there was produced the perfect Word of God, the written Word of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible is theonoustos, God-breathed. It is freely given to us by God. In other words, we have the revelation of God delivered to us by the Spirit of God wrapped up in the package of the written Word of God. And notice the past tense of verse 12. We have received it. What a precious gift the Word of God is. You see, Paul and the other writers of Scripture did not just give their own thoughts and opinions. When we read the pages of Scripture, we are reading the very thoughts of God directly from the Holy Spirit of God. And these are the deep things of God. And by the way, not only are the thoughts inspired, but so are the very words of Scripture. Notice the last phrase of verse 13, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You know, a few years ago, there were many liberal scholars who were trying to espouse the idea that God only inspired the general ideas of Scripture, but that the authors put it into their own words. Folks, don't you believe that? Not only are the thoughts inspired by God, but so are the words. The Bible clearly teaches that God's Word is verbally inspired. Every last syllable has been given directly by God. The word combining in that verse means to join together fitly. It means to Combine two things together into one, as if it is just one entity. My friend, it is nonsense to speak of thoughts being inspired, but the words not being inspired. That's nonsense. I mean, how can you have thoughts without having words to convey those thoughts? And I'll tell you this. If the words of this book are not inspired, we can't trust any of it. If we cannot 
have confidence in the fact that the Bible is verbally inspired, then we can never know if it's God's truth or not. My friend, unless you have a verbally inspired Word of God, the best you can ever do is to say, well, I might have a general idea of God's truth, but on the other hand, I might not. I don't really know. We, we understand this is the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that when I read my Bible, I can have absolute confidence that this is the truth of God directly revealed from the Spirit of God. It is absolutely trustworthy, absolutely reliable, every single word. And when I pick up my Bible, listen, I'm not reading the words of Paul or John or Moses. I'm reading the very words of God directly revealed by His Holy Spirit. And what a thrill it is. I can sit down every day and read the very revelation of God to man. And if you can't get excited about that, you better check your spiritual condition. Well, there has to be revelation. There has to be inspiration. And there has to be illumination. Do you know that it is possible to read the divinely inspired Word of God, without understanding a single word of it? That's possible. This is where we see the purpose of God manifested for us. God desires for us to know His wisdom. It is not His desire to hide His wisdom from His children. And so the Bible says that we have received three things from Him. We have received three things. First, we have received His mentor. His mentor. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. My friend, we have a resonant truth teacher living inside all of us who know Christ. And that resident truth teacher reveals to us and illumines to our understanding the deep things of God. When we read the Word of God, He illumines our minds and our hearts to the truth of God. Have you ever been reading the Bible and All of a sudden, you come across a verse that the Holy Spirit just uses to convict you about. And He pierces your heart with that passage. And it's as if you are brought to the conclusion, this is the very truth I need. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit at work, illuminating God's truth your heart and mind. You know, there's been a lot of emphasis in recent days on the value of having a mentor. But the greatest mentor of all is the Spirit of God who dwells in every single believer. But secondly, we have received His 
mentality. Not only his mentor, but his mentality. Look with me at verse 15. Back up to verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. This is talking about how things are appraised. That word is a very interesting one. It has to do with making a thorough investigation. It is used in a forensic sense of a coroner who examines a body to determine the cause of death. So God says the natural man or the lost man will make an investigation and he will conclude, I don't have a clue what this means. It is nothing but foolishness to me. But the one who is spiritual, a true born-again believer, has the ability to investigate and make a proper judgment and come to a proper conclusion concerning the Word of God. My friend, it is possible to read, study, and even memorize the Bible and still not have an understanding of it. In fact, a lost person cannot, the Bible says, have an understanding of it. He cannot understand it. Why? He doesn't have the spiritual equipment. Listen, there are, whether we realize it or not, there are sounds and pictures and all kinds of things being transmitted all throughout this room tonight. It's all over the place. But we can only pick them up if we have the right equipment. So a lost person can read the Word of God and not have a clue concerning its meaning. I mean, just watch these guys on the news when they try to quote the Bible and say, this is what it's about. They have no idea. God's Word says that God's wisdom is spiritually discerned. Now, the psalmist knew this. That's why he wrote in Psalm 119.18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. That's a prayer for illumination. Listen, it should really come as no surprise at all when a lost person thinks that God's principles are foolish. It should not surprise us when we read things in the media that totally miss the point of the text of Scripture. It should not surprise us when we hear someone quote some Bible verse and say, this is what Jesus was all about, when they have no concept at all of what Jesus came to do. Thirdly, we receive His mind. His mind. Look at verse 16. Or who has known the mind of the Lord that we should instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now that last phrase just blows my mind. Notice that it doesn't say we're striving for the mind of Christ. Or we someday will have the mind of Christ. No, it says we right now have the mind of Christ. Now, for some, it may be just beginning. For others, 
it is becoming more and more evident in your walk, in your lifestyle, in your habits, in your vocabulary, in your relationship with your husband or wife. But if we have Christ, we also have His mind. You have His divine wisdom. You have His mind. The word have in verse 16 is in the present tense. It means to possess, to adhere closely to, to be closely joined to a person or thing, to lay hold of. That is a present reality in the life of every believer. But in closing, let me say that the doctrine of illumination also needs some clarification. This teaching does not mean that we can know and understand everything, as Deuteronomy 29.29 29 indicates. There are some things that only belong to the realm of God, other things He has revealed to us. It does not mean that we don't need human teachers. Ephesians 4.11-13 deals with that. We still need human teachers. It does not mean that studying Scripture is not hard work. It is very, very hard work. What it does mean is that the Scripture can be understood by every true believer who is both diligent and obedient. You see, what I have discovered is that illumination and obedience are often parallel with one another. The more we obey, the more the Spirit helps us to understand the deep things of God. God wants us to know His truth. And that's why He's given it to us in His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. We thank You that it is beyond what we can really even comprehend. And yet we have the Holy Spirit. We have the resident truth teacher living in us that helps us to understand it. And Lord, we acknowledge tonight we're totally dependent on that. And yet, Lord, we know it's a precious gift that you've given to us. And, Lord, we, uh, we also understand that the natural man, the lost man, has no clue concerning these things. And so that's why we pray for the lost. We want them also to come to know Christ, that they too can understand your truth. So, Lord, help us to be about your work this week. And, uh, Lord, that we would immerse ourselves in this precious word that you've given to us. And we ask it in Christ's name.